0: In this episode, we're going to focus on some of the more complicated, complex, and emotionally charged surrogacy topics specifically relevant to your journey to become a surrogate. Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Welcome back to Fertility Cafe. In Episode 2, Surrogacy 101, When It Takes a Village to Start a Family, I discussed the basics of your surrogacy journey and what it takes to qualify to become a gestational surrogate. If you have questions about those topics, you'll want to refer back to the episode to get more insight. In this episode, we're going to focus on some of the more complicated, complex, and emotionally charged surrogacy topics specifically relevant to your journey to become a surrogate. At some points throughout this episode, you may think to yourself, well, what am I really getting myself into? And I honestly hope you do have that thought. As a three time surrogate myself and assisting hundreds of surrogates complete their own journeys over the last 15 years, I can assure you This is not something you want to go into with rose-colored glasses on. Yes, I will be the first to tell you how amazing the experience is and how gratifying it is to give of yourself in such a huge way. Being a surrogate is truly one of the most empowering things I have ever done. But there's another side to it. This episode isn't meant to scare you or make you second-guess your decision. It's to make you understand 100% what surrogacy is and isn't, and to determine if you are ready to take on this huge role at this moment in time. So, here's what we'll be covering today. First on the list, what is your why in deciding to be a surrogate? Why your BMI is so important and what you can do if it's too high or too low? the importance of the psychological evaluation and the preparation for your surrogacy journey, how receiving government assistance will disqualify you from moving forward in the process, the medications you will be required to take, followed by an uncomfortable yet essential topic, your decision on termination and selective reduction before you embark on a surrogacy journey. And to close us out, we'll talk about having family support as a critical factor in your success as a surrogate. So let's begin. First, let's go into the why. I wish I could say that simply wanting to help another couple with their dream of having a family is the biggest deciding factor to becoming a gestational surrogate. I'm sure that if it was, women everywhere would be lining up for the cause. The truth is, making the decision to be a gestational surrogate isn't one you can or should make lightly. There are many things and people to think about beforehand. We all want to change the world, and providing a healthy, nurturing body for someone else's child to grow and thrive is an amazing gift. But not everyone is cut out for the job. In my experience, some of the women I've had the privilege to know start their surrogacy journeys have done it after watching someone close to them struggle with infertility. For some women, they believe they've been called by a higher power to give a couple a chance at experiencing the love and joy of having a family, whatever the reason. Surrogacy is by all accounts as rewarding for the surrogate as it is for the intended parents, and that's pretty amazing. Before beginning the process, it's important to take time and reflect on what surrogacy means for you and your family. Most gestational surrogates have found significant benefits to becoming a surrogate. First, the reward of knowing you've made a family's dreams come true. Becoming a surrogate is about more than money. It's a way to directly help a family who wants to have a child. Then the direct impact it has on your own children and giving them a front-center view of what it means to be selfless. And let's not overlook the additional income for your family. Many surrogates have been able to provide extra financial support for their families. And as a mom yourself, you know that you can't put a price on the joy and fulfillment of becoming a parent. When you take the step to become a surrogate, you'll be bringing that same joy to another family. Understanding your why will definitely help you keep focused when the actual process begins. Because I promise you, there will be times when you will question, why did you agree to do this? And believe me, I question myself often. And when those hard moments appear, you must remember your why. It is what is going to push you through. And now that you know your why, you'll want to make sure you are physically ready. The first to consider in that step is knowing your BMI, which stands for Body Mass Index. And it is a measure used by medical professionals as it pertains to your health. For the context of this episode, we need to focus on BMI as just another step in the positive process of you becoming a surrogate. I'm going to make this very simple for you. There are many reasons why having a healthy BMI can have a positive impact on pregnancy and your health in general. But since your goal is to become a surrogate and help bring a healthy child into the world, BMI becomes a big deciding factor in the selection process. The bottom line is that BMI can affect your hormones, which affects your menstrual cycle and your ability to carry a healthy fetus. There's a range of healthy BMIs, But if you have a BMI under 19, you run the chance of not making enough estrogen, which means your reproductive cycles shut down. As you can imagine, that's not good. On the flip side of that coin, ASRM states that when a woman's BMI goes above 30, she can have the opposite problem. Her body will produce too much estrogen, effectively putting her on birth control. Again, not exactly an optimum environment for growing a baby. Having a healthy BMI can also determine your likelihood of being able to have a successful embryo transfer. Carrying a healthy baby to full term provide the optimum environment for a healthy and uncomplicated delivery and make the recovery time post delivery much smoother. I know some of you might be thinking, You had a BMI over 30 when you carried and gave birth to your own children. And everything went perfectly fine. No complications, no issues. And I understand where you're coming from with this train of thought. The difference is that as a surrogate, you aren't carrying your own child. Your OBGYN most likely advised you of risks associated with a high BMI, and you made the personal decision to take those risks. It's understandable that intended parents aren't willing to take those same risks, IPs have a limited number of chances available to build their family. They need the most optimal environment possible for their precious baby to attach and grow. A healthy BMI is a key part in creating that optimal environment. So who dictates the BMI threshold for becoming a surrogate? While each agency may have different qualifiers, the ultimate decision comes down to the fertility clinics. Clinics and the medical professionals in each practice sets the guidelines of who who they will clear to be a surrogate. The clinics must follow strict medical standards to create optimal conditions for IVF success. While each clinic may vary slightly from a BMI of 29 to 32 perhaps and their rules are strict and we must all fall in line with what the medical professionals are advising. Next is the psychological evaluation which is one of the most dreaded processes for a surrogacy evaluation. This is another very important step in your surrogacy journey process though. Women that choose to become surrogates are women with big hearts who typically love being pregnant and who gain a deep sense of satisfaction in knowing they are helping a person or couple who are, for any number of possible reasons, unable to bring their baby into the world and complete their family the old-fashioned way. Now, critics of surrogacy call the practice baby-selling, but the key piece they are missing is that the women who carry babies for others do so from a place of love and empathy. The payment they receive should never be the driving reason for wanting to perform this sacred service for another person or couple. This reason specifically is one of the reasons the psychological evaluation is performed as part of your medical screening process. During the psychological evaluation, a well-trained mental health professional will determine a woman's reasons for choosing to be a gestational surrogate. If they feel that money is the primary motivating factor, it could be a point of concern and potentially a reason to be denied. You'll also be evaluated on your understanding of the surrogacy process. What your role is. How will you be able to handle the potential roller coaster of emotions before, during, and after the surrogacy pregnancy? And if you are emotionally able to take on this role. As I've said before, surrogacy is not for everyone. It is a highly emotional process for the IPs as well as the surrogates. You invest your time, energy, emotions, body, and more. It doesn't just take emotional health to become a surrogate. It takes emotional strength and fortitude to see this commitment through to the end. The mental health professional doing the screening will also want to be sure that you have a strong support system in place and that your spouse or partner is 100% on board with your decision to become a surrogate. We'll visit your support system a little bit later. Another aspect of the mental health equation is medication. Are you someone who takes regular medications to help you manage your emotional and mental health? If so, you aren't alone, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. However, taking prescriptions like Xanax, Welbutrin, Prozac, Lexapro, Cymbalta, or any other antidepressant, anti-anxiety, mood-stabilizing medication, even taken in small doses or on an as-needed basis, would disqualify you from being a surrogate. Depending on the clinic you work with, to begin the matching and evaluation process, you would need to be at least 90 days medication-free, some clinics require much longer, and have a note from the prescribing doctor attesting to the fact that you no longer need these mood-stabilizing prescriptions. I'm going to be real with you. Surrogacy can be stressful. Balancing the needs of your own family, home, career, plus the typical stressors of pregnancy including managing medical appointments, months of hormonal changes, fatigue, discomfort, plus the needs and expectations of a set of excited and eager intended parents, Let's just say that being a surrogate is like an ultimate juggling competition. Can you keep all the balls in the air while still maintaining your sanity? Not many women can, and that's okay. Most of us have enough on our plates without taking on yet another ambitious endeavor, like surrogacy. Uh, Can we just say quarantine homeschooling? If you are currently taking regular mental health prescriptions or have taken them in the last few months, it's important that you are honest with yourself and ask yourself the real hard questions. Should you go off your meds To pursue your desire of becoming a surrogate, would your mental health suffer if you stop taking these medications? Could you handle the added pressure and stress surrogacy might bring into your life right now? I'm not going to sugarcoat things, and when it comes to mental health, I absolutely will not downplay the importance of emotional and psychological stability in each and every woman who wants to become a surrogate. Your life and the baby's life you are carrying depends on it. The next controversial and often disappointing requirement for applying to be a surrogate is that you cannot be receiving any form of government assistance. Government assistance refers to aid such as food stamps or SNAP, cash aid, or TANF. Some agencies will have an exception to this, which would be if you are on Medicaid. Agencies will work with your intended parents to purchase a private health insurance plan for you for the duration of your surrogacy journey. If this is the only holdup, And the agency sees you as a great candidate in every other way, then this is an option they may talk to you about. So once this plan is purchased and you are no longer receiving Medicaid benefits, you may qualify. Just as an FYI, it is entirely unethical and illegal to use Medicaid benefits for a surrogate pregnancy. Receiving government assistance in the form of food stamps or cash aid or Medicaid isn't uncommon and certainly doesn't make you a bad person or incapable of being a great surrogate. However, if you are receiving these government benefits, it is likely you are not at peak financial stability. The last thing we'd ever want is for a woman to feel like surrogacy is the only option she has to earn money and provide for herself and her children. The use of SNAP or food stamps may indicate an issue with food availability in the home and balanced nutrition is a critical part of a healthy pregnancy. ASRM has clear guidelines to protect surrogates from being exploited or put in a negative situation based on economic factors. So while it may seem unfair or irrelevant to be denied based on your receipt of government assistance, the guideline is put in place to protect your best interest and ensure you are making the decision to become a surrogate for the right reasons. Another important thing to note is once you begin receiving your surrogate compensation, you may be disqualified from all of the benefits you're currently receiving from the government. That is a key factor you'll want to consider before getting upset about not qualifying because you are on government assistance. I know you have a big heart and that you really want to help another family, but there are people that sadly look at this as a financial opportunity, and this is what this part of the evaluation is taking into account. So focus on getting yourself financially stable first and then return to start your surrogacy journey. In fact, many countries around the world only allow altruistic surrogacy, which means that no money can be paid to the surrogate. Intended parents can help with expenses, but nothing more than that. Now that is a true labor of love. An important part of the surrogacy process is the medications you'll need to take for the surrogacy pregnancy. Medications begin after all medical screening. Psych evaluations and legal contracts have been completed. Your clinic will provide you with a cycle schedule. That cycle schedule will tell you when to take your meds, how much to take, and when you will need to be seen by the clinic for evaluations. The medications you will be taking are hormones. Protocols vary from clinic to clinic, but for the most part, you may be on some form of estrogen and progesterone for up to 10 to 12 consecutive weeks. Estrogen is given to help thicken the uterine lining so that it's prepared for implantation. It also helps the placenta to function and boosts blood flow to the uterus. It can be administered by oral pills, patches, or injections. Progesterone prepares the lining of the uterus to allow the embryo to implant. Progesterone can be taken as an intramuscular injection or vaginally via suppositories, gel, or vaginal tablets. And I can't stress this enough it is extremely important to take the medications provided to you exactly as prescribed. In order for the baby to grow, it needs these medications until your body can take over naturally. Now, on to one of the more controversial and likely one of the most heart-wrenching topics to think about, the topic of termination. Just like with the pro-life, pro-choice abortion debate, the words termination and no termination in regard to surrogacy carry a lot of weight and are a cause for deep ethical reflection. Pro-life doesn't necessarily equate to no termination when it comes to surrogacy, but regardless of which side of the abortion debate you stand on, or maybe you haven't even developed an opinion on the matter, you will need to consider whether you would be emotionally and psychologically able to terminate a pregnancy if your intended parents find themselves in a position where they are forced to make such a difficult decision. When it comes to surrogacy, these babies are extremely wanted. They aren't a surprise or an oops. They aren't created on a whim by a couple looking for a new shiny toy. The babies conceived through surrogacy were planned for and prayed for. And you, as a surrogate, are an answered prayer. Consider what an infertile couple must endure before finally settling on surrogacy. Miscarriages, surgeries, procedures, and failed attempts at IVF. Year after year of having their dreams of starting a family derailed, by a condition outside of their control, the shame and self-doubt about what they are doing wrong, mentally decorating baby nurseries that never come to fruition, choosing a name for a baby that never takes a breath outside the womb, fielding questions and advice from friends and family members that don't understand their infertility struggle. Infertility can be one of the most isolating experiences an adult can face. Or maybe the parents are a same-sex couple who don't have the option of carrying a baby on their own when the topic of termination is addressed in regard to surrogacy your go-to answer might be absolutely not you are strictly no term and cannot fathom supporting a couple that would consider termination after all if you are anti-abortion you must be anti-termination right well not necessarily when it comes to surrogacy pregnancy termination isn't abortion, and the two should not be lumped into the same category. For many, termination of a surrogate pregnancy isn't done because the baby is a boy when they wanted a girl. It isn't done because the intended parents changed their minds. It isn't done because of physical conditions or birth defects such as a cleft palate or a limp deformity termination isn't done because a baby is imperfect. A termination of a surrogate pregnancy would be done in often extreme circumstances when there is a medical condition that cannot be fixed with surgery outside of the womb, such as chromosomal abnormalities. This medical condition would affect the quality of life for the baby if they even made it to that point. These intended parents aren't seeking perfection. They are seeking to grow their family. They are seeking the joy only a baby can bring. Just as when you were pregnant, all you wanted was a healthy baby. You didn't care about hair color or eye color. You didn't care about the baby's IQ or ability to play sports. All you wanted was a baby that could live and thrive and become the person God intended them to be. And that's exactly what all parents want. As a surrogate, the journey is yours to make. You aren't simply a vessel or a womb for rent. You have a voice and a choice in how your surrogacy journey plays out. Despite the myths, the intended parents don't take complete control over your life and your body. The relationship you have with them is a mutual, beneficial, two-way street and should be nurtured as such. Trust, communication, and compassion are the building blocks of any solid relationship. And the surrogate intended parent relationship is no different. You'll choose each other for this journey. You have as much of a say in choosing the parents you carry a baby for as they have in choosing you as the surrogate to carry their baby. You should ensure your values and expectations align before any contracts are signed. This includes the termination versus no termination aspect of surrogacy. You should never be forced into a situation you aren't 100% comfortable with. The discussions regarding termination and how and when it could play into the pregnancy should take place from the very beginning of your relationship with the intended parents. So what should you consider when discussing termination or no termination with intended parents? This topic could potentially determine a family's future and shouldn't be taken lightly. It's not as simple as pro-life versus pro-choice. It's not about abortion. From your personal experience with pregnancy, you know there is no way to predict the health of a baby. If you are strictly no termination, you may have foregone genetic testing and diagnostic ultrasounds throughout your own pregnancy. That was your personal decision and you made it knowing how that decision would impact your family's future. You decided you were ready to deal with the circumstances no matter what. But as a surrogate, you aren't making these decisions alone. It is not your future family on the line. It is not your baby. It is, however, your body. You are part of a team and your body is your major contribution to this partnership. While you carry the baby for the first nine months of his or her life, it's the parents who take over and raise the baby through adulthood. Your job on this team is to carry and birth the baby, but it's the parent's job to deal with the long-term health of the child. As a surrogate, you are entering in a partnership with the intended parents where you will be making a number of important decisions together. You can plan and prepare and think about these various scenarios and potential health conditions, but unforeseen circumstances could always arise. It's important you enter into this relationship with an open mind and open heart, recognizing that if the worst-case scenario does arise, such as a severe medical condition not compatible with life, you are not making this decision for yourself. You were in control during your own pregnancy and able to make all the decisions. Intended parents don't have that luxury. Infertility has robbed them of that control. Or perhaps surrogacy is the only way for a couple to have a child, as with same-sex couples. It's something to keep in mind as you enter into the relationship with your intended parents. You need to ask yourself, Am I the person who should be making decisions about this baby's future? About this family's future? Or should the decision about termination ultimately lie with the parents of the baby I am carrying? You've already established a relationship with the intended parents built on trust and compassion. Shouldn't you trust them in making the right decision? You want to consider letting control be in the parents' hands, allowing them to make the ultimate decision to terminate or keep the pregnancy. And you also have to think, for many of these intended parents, every ability to make a decision for their child has been taken away from them. When it comes to becoming a surrogate, this is a topic you must think through thoroughly and discuss with your partner and/ or support system before moving forward in your surrogacy application because you will be signing contracts stating your positions on these topics as you move forward in the selection process. But termination is not the only difficult topic to ponder. There is also the concept of selective reduction. This is a term that refers to more than one embryo implanting itself and beginning to grow. In your surrogacy contract, you'll either agree or decline to carry multiples. It is entirely up to you whether you're willing to carry more than one baby. And this is an important deciding factor when you are being matched with intended parents. This decision will also affect the number of embryos your fertility doctor will transfer to your uterus when it comes time to do that. Now, according to ASRM, 64% of surrogacy births are single babies, 34% are twins, and 2% are triplets or more. And some parents love the idea of raising multiple children, while others are adamant about wanting to raise only a single child. So, a respectful, open, and honest relationship between intended parents and any potential surrogate will have this very clearly laid out well before the match is finalized. Even if a single birth is what is mutually decided upon, and only one embryo is transferred, there is about a 1% chance that the embryo will split, resulting in identical twins, and in very rare cases, amounting to about 20 to 30 per 1 million births, the egg can split into thirds, resulting in identical triplets. You must think carefully about how you will handle the thought of carrying twins, even if only one embryo was transferred think about how you would feel if your intended parents let you know that they wanted to reduce the number of embryos you were carrying under these or similar circumstances. Would you be okay with terminating one to allow for only a single birth? There are also medical reasons that selective reduction may become necessary. Sometimes with multiples, one of the babies is not able to be properly nourished and so does not thrive even while still inside the womb. In this case, the doctor may recommend selective reduction in order to allow the other baby to thrive and have a greater chance of being born healthy. Now, I am sure you can imagine that these topics and the feelings that go with them are not the norm that most parents have to face. So always remember to do your best to approach these topics with empathy towards your intended parents. Try to imagine yourself in the position of these very loving people who desperately want their child so you can try to understand where they're coming from and what reasons they may have for making the choices they do regarding selective reduction and termination. Can you imagine you meet me for the first time, and I have to take your child for the next nine months? You can't tell me how to feed him. You can't tell me how to take care of him. You can't tell me where to take him. You can't tell me anything. You just have to trust me that I'm going to bring this child back to you healthy and whole. And now, on top of all of this, we find out that there is a medical issue with your child. But you have no say whatsoever in determining what kind of care she will receive or if she receives care at all. It's not up to you because she isn't in your control. How does it feel knowing someone else has full control of your child and you have no say? Try to imagine yourself in their position. What if I make a decision that will impact you for the rest of your life emotionally, physically, and financially? Would you be okay with that? I know it's a complicated situation to imagine. But the reality is is that you may give birth to a child and hand her over to her parents who will then begin facing a lifetime of medical interventions, possible multiple surgeries, possible special education requirements, and a lot of stress for a child that may or may not even survive the birth itself. Some people believe that termination under these or similar circumstances is the most compassionate and humane option. And while I am not saying whether I agree or disagree, I am merely giving information to you as a potential surrogate to process. If you disagree, that's perfectly fine. But you must ensure you are very clear on your views when being matched with intended parents. You don't want to be matched with intended parents who have vastly different views on these topics from yours. Remember, you are growing and delivering this child but they are raising this child who will not stay a child and who will become an adult. If they don't have family and this adult is special needs who requires around-the-clock care, what happens to him when the intended parents die? The reality is that termination and selective reduction are both topics that should be covered during matching your psychological evaluation and legal to ensure that you have thought long and hard how you will handle this or any similar situation should it come up. No one said being a surrogate was easy. If it was, more people would do it. Thankfully, there are special people in this world like you that are strong enough and willing to handle these big decisions. Also, let's face it, even if you love it, pregnancy can get very hard. Pregnancy plus the surrogacy process is even more complicated. That is why having an amazing support system is critical while you go through this process. There are always intense emotions involved when carrying a child, whether that child is your own or someone else's. Not to mention that the IVF medications you will have to be using during your cycle can affect your emotional state, which can trickle down to having an impact on your partner and your children. The next thing you need to be prepared for is that you will be attending a seemingly endless string of doctor's appointments and undergoing various tests and screenings. And this time commitment will affect your relationship with your own children. So you need to plan for things like who will watch your young children for you as you attend these appointments. All of these factors are emotionally taxing on even the strongest woman in her family. This is why your partner and a strong support network among your friends and extended family are so helpful for your surrogacy journey. Since you've given birth before, you know that one of the brilliant things Mother Nature does for us to help us continue to procreate is to allow us to forget or downplay some of our memories of the physical and emotional discomforts of pregnancy. Boy, that is a brilliant design indeed. Can you remember back to your pregnancies? How sleepy you were in the beginning? How much morning sickness did you have? How moody were you? If you don't remember, ask your partner to jog your memory. They will likely be brutally honest with you about that one. And while you're taking this journey down memory lane, what other physical discomforts did you have? How was your birth process? It may sound like I'm trying to talk you out of being a surrogate, but actually the opposite is true. For women who this is the right journey for, I am trying to talk you into being a surrogate. My goal here is that you go into the process with a clear understanding of what it is you're really in store for, keeping in mind that the end result of all of this is a beautiful baby you get to deliver for a loving person or couple who has yearned for this baby probably for many years. Because what I have seen over my years of working with families is that this will be one of the most memorable, fulfilling, and rewarding experiences of your life. Now, I mentioned that your spouse or partner absolutely must be on board with your decision to become a surrogate for you to qualify. Remember, this decision will affect you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, for 10 months, including your post-birth recovery period. It will take roughly 15 months to 2 years from start to finish, and it will affect your body, your emotional state, and your ability to care for your own children. You'll have to adjust your intimate relationship with your spouse or partner. For many couples, this can be a huge challenge, so you must consider it and discuss it as part of your decision process. Your partner will be required to sign contracts and other paperwork, do blood work for screening, and will be a factor intended parents take into account during the matching process. In short, if your partner is not on board, you will need to respect their decisions for not wanting you to do this and accept that becoming a surrogate may not be the right decision for you. And depending on your family dynamic, you may also need to get the approval of your family. Maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your in-laws, or perhaps it can even be your children. All the individuals who have a say in your decision must have a say at the take. Ultimately, it is your decision, of course. But don't start down this journey, find a match, have intended parents pay thousands of dollars for screening, and then have to back out because your in-laws, for instance, will disown you if you move forward and they didn't want you to. Okay, how are you feeling at this point? It's a lot to digest, but it's things you must consider. I dropped a lot of heavy information on you that is vital to moving forward in your surrogacy quest so that you can make a well-informed decision. Every one of the topics I discussed today will put you on a path to becoming a stronger person all around, which is getting healthy, becoming financially stable, and knowing exactly where you stand on sensitive topics. These topics are not only important for potential surrogates, but they are also empowering ways of navigating through life. So in closing, I just want to remind you that women who choose to become surrogates do so from the place of love, compassion, and a strong desire to help another family. Many women choose to be surrogates multiple times because they love the experience so much, and you may very well end up being one of these women. After spending this much time together, do you think this is still a journey you wish to be on? I really do hope so. There are many loving people out there who want to raise children. And you may just be the answer that they have been searching for. Thank you for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this episode of Fertility Cafe, I'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or your listening platform of choice. We'd also love you to share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information shared. I'm Eloise Drain. Remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.